Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Flypast podcast. Uh, I'm Hans from Kiero here with Chris Clifford, editor of Flypast. All right, Chris? Oh, how are you doing? Good, good. And uh, Tara Legger, assistant editor on Kiero for Historic Aviation. Welcome back, Tara. Hello, thank you. Yes, had yeah. a few weeks off. You had a few weeks off, obviously. Um, last time you did this podcast, you were in tier two. Yeah, Can you, feeling feeling a bit smug that you could go and have a substantial <laughs> meal in a pub. Those those were the days, really. <laughs> now now we're just all in tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? That was like um, that was before Tier Four even existed, Indeed, and now we yeah. bypass that. I think this is a, what they call a fluid situation, isn't it? It's anyway. a fluid situation, okay. either way. <laughs> Homeschooling. Homeschooling. Yeah. Actually, actually, if you hear any distant screams, um, <laughs> then that is probably my uh, my kids uh, being homeschooled. Um, and I'm I'm With so glad that they invented podcasts <laughs> so I can disappear upstairs for an hour and not have to do that. Do you know what? It really exposes how how stupid I am. Like I've had to brush up on you know long division and long multiplication. I'm having to <laughs> kind of like go on YouTube. There. In my spare time, my sort of like kids come in yeah, and go, "What are you yeah, watching? Yeah. Nothing, nothing." See, just, when you um, said when you said at school, "I'm never going to need this," you never <laughs> anticipated COVID, did you? <laughs> I know, indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, English, it's geography, true. history, I'm fine. Maths, somebody else has got to do it. That's percent. That's a very good answer. Like when they sort of say, "I'm never going to need this." Yeah, you wait till the next <laughs> pandemic, mate. In 30 <laughs> years, see how you get on. But so, right. your kids have probably escaped it. It's all good. <laughs> exactly exactly but um this gives us the chance to escape that and talk about uh talk about more pleasant things and um because i think january the 9th was the 80th anniversary was it not of the first flight of the lancaster um, magnificent machine exactly so we sort of thought let's escape homeschooling and talk about the lancaster for half now which um that's much you know, better exactly <laughs> Wait, can you remember the first time you ever saw a Lancaster in the flesh? Gosh, it, well, it would have been at an air show. I know that. But, you know, I've seen it so many times now and for so long, I don't remember the first time. But what I would say is that every single time I see it, even now, it just makes me shiver. It's wonderful. It's such it is. What about you, Tara? Do you, Do you know, most of my, um, like, first experiences with aeroplanes are from, like, school trips because we went on a school trip to Duxford when I was like eight. And so every oh, single I answer to that, that school. I'm, well, yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but every single answer for you to be like, when did you first see this? It's going to be at Duxford, 100%. So Excellent. I don't well, think no, I went to an air show before that. No, well, I do remember actually um, a few years ago, um, I was, uh, when I was kind of a freelance journalist, I was doing this um I was doing this feature on this guy's motorbike and he worked at Coningsby and uh, he, he'd got us in to be able to kind of uh, do photograph his bike uh, at RF Coningsby. And anyway, I was just standing around and um, I don't want to sort of um, strip away the glamour of magazine uh, photo shoots, but um, <laughs> you know, they can go on a bit, can't they, Chris? Oh, let's, yes, definitely. Uh, let, let's be honest. You're standing around usually in sort of, you know, sort of quite cold, you know, like an airfield, you know, by a hangar. Yeah, yeah. It's again sort of quite chilly, isn't it? Usually. Anyway, I was just standing there on my own. And then this um, security guard sort of like just over starts chatting. He goes, 
do you want to see something cool? <laughs> and uh, it's a bit I ominous. Is it, which is a bit ominous. He, was, he seemed like quite a nice guy, and I'm quite trusting. So, and it's not you, you, usually security guys just say no. So I thought, oh, okay. Yeah. And anyway, he sort of let me over and he opened the door. And there it was. It's like uh, just sitting he, there. It just let yeah. The people sort of like were working on it, and you know, and whatnot. And it, did the hairs go on? Did the hairs yeah, go on? Yeah, on your they neck? did. And it, you just sort of uh, there's there's two things. A, it's the sort of size, isn't it? Yeah, you know, absolutely sheer presence. Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. And then you sort of whenever I kind of see these things, I always think I can't believe that that this this was there. You know doing that mm. you know it's, it's you're yeah. really in the presence of history it's quite sort of um it's too grand about it yeah but it is it is it is quite humbling but they're just massive aren't they it's a big airplane it really is although not so much when you're inside them i understand um i have an old air cadet buddy of mine from way back tony beresford who was lead navigator with the bbmf for a few years and uh, he spent a lot of time in that and uh, even he's a little guy and even <laughs> even then he wouldn't have had much room to uh, swing a cat Pretty, seems to be yeah. the uh, the general consensus with like aircraft from that sort of time, doesn't it? Because everybody says that the Spitfire is the same and the yeah, all yep. that sort of thing. So it seems to be the general consensus that it's quite yeah. a quite well, a tight I, squeeze. Funnily <laughs> enough, I read this last night in a book that I'm reviewing for Flypass. But it, general, the general consensus is that the British um, modelled an aeroplane uh, around the pi- sorry um, modelled the aeroplane around the pilot, but the Yanks did it the other way around. So, you know, British machines are always very, very snug, whereas the American ones have got more room and they're more ergonomic. Um, But, you know, any wartime aircraft, it's not going to be massively roomy, I don't think, because you've got so much kit that you have to cram in them. Yeah. And and I suppose, you know, they are they were built for a particular purpose. You know, so comfort is kind of, you know, way down. But it is quite interesting when you start looking into it, isn't it? And the the conditions of going in something like a Lancaster. I mean, yeah. You, you're mentioning it, you know, it's cramped, it's freezing. You know, I yeah. think that I read something that something like uh, at 20 or 22,000 feet could get to minus 40. And then you've yeah. got these guys, they're kind of, they're there with a pencil and a ruler and a compass trying to kind of find out where they're going. It's dark, it's freezing, you're being shot at. I think there was that, there was that um, Channel 4 program, wasn't it? That someone was saying it was like, it was like doing a seven-hour maths exam um, <laughs> in the dark while being shot at. Obviously, you know, uh, on, a par with, uh, on a par with homeschooling, obviously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's when you sort of think of that, you know, and, and bumpy as well. This is not going to be like going yeah. in a dreamliner, is it? This is going to be, th- you know, no, 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 no. throwing you around a little bit. It's, it's amazing that people, you know, people, uh, what people did in this machine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it garners a huge amount of respect as well. I mean, I think it's, a, when speaking of the Lancaster, I think it's a great shame that Bomber Command kind of didn't really get the credit it deserved in, in, you know, uh, um, in comparison with the fighter boys. Um, and there's also the sort of later narratives surrounding the Firestorm missions, you know, over Germany. And um, I think that's kind of overshadowed just the sheer bravery of, of all the crews involved. That's an interesting point, yeah, because I, I, I suppose what you're saying is there's just there was just naturally a bit more glamour to pe- flying a Spitfire in the way that probably these days, you know, if you're an F-35 pilot, you know, yeah. you are the like, coolest. Whereas if you're kind of, if you, you know, you're, you're flying, you know, like the kind of the refueling, the massive great yeah. refueling sort of place, it's a bit, it's a bit less glamorous, isn't it? You know, sure. um, yeah. you're not going to, telling fewer people in the pub 
about exactly. that, even though but to me know, it's still quite impressive. You lost a Spitfire or a Typhoon or a Hurricane and you've lost one man, but you lose a Lancaster, that's what, seven guys gone? And they lost a it lot is, of Lancasters yeah. as well as all the other bombers as well. It's very sobering. Yeah, it is sobering. And it's also, it's quite mad, isn't it? When you when you think there's only kind of two airworthy, it's two, isn't it? Two airworthy. Yeah. two left, one in, in Canada, yeah. one in the UK. Yeah, it's it, it, it's 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 amazing that there aren't more. Given given how many Spitfires and you know hurricanes or whatever there are, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's quite a shame. But I suppose it sort of adds to the allure of the Lancaster. The Lancaster it it does, it? but you know, I and I think they will do it. But the guys at East Kirby um, up in Lincolnshire, I really do think sooner or later they will get their aeroplane flying. And if we could get three together, that would be the holy grail. And I'm sure sometime it will happen. Well, I, I really do hope it does. I've never seen one fly in the flesh. You're kidding me, really? Never seen one fly in the flesh, never. Well, we'll have to fix that. Um, I know. When, when air shows do start again, that's one of the first things you've got to go and do. That's that's what everybody says to me. They're like, you can't be so into historic aviation and have never seen a Lancaster fly. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just annoyed as, as annoyed as you are, so don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> don't go well, on We are a bit it. longer in the tooth, Tara, so don't worry about <laughs> that too much. You guys, <laughs> you've, got, you've got plenty of time. I, I mean, I was, I was looking that, you know, it didn't it cost us about seven million to restore to, to, to get that to get that um no sorry i'm sort of talking about something else i completely lost it you see i've been homeschooling has completely fried my brain i don't even know what i'm talking about um anymore um i think i was reading some um, some old stuff on kiero not that i want to plug you know our uh, digital platform of course um but i was quite interested about you know the the making of the lancaster and sort of um, all the multiple sites Mm. And you know, me- uh, mental, really, isn't it? Yeah, and and how that um, it was sort of quite actually ingenious uh, that not having one one huge site, but, yeah. You know, having sort of you know disparate sites uh, meant that you know the, the Germans couldn't just pinpoint one place. Yeah, um, well, it made it made perfect sense, really, and it's the same for a lot of other aircraft as well. You know, mo- a lot of types were never built solely in one factory. You're asking for trouble in that respect. Hmm. I, uh, I I didn't realise that at one point they they had quite a backlog on orders, so they um, outsourced their engine and um, propeller making to somewhere in like America. Yeah, yeah. And then they had to ship them over in like obviously America. It was just it. It's a bit mental, yeah, really. I didn't realise all of must, this. You know, he yeah. got the job done. True. Can you, doing that pre-internet. That was a bit of a logistical headache, wasn't it? Because obviously nowadays, you know, we're used to, you know, we can get anything made anywhere. But, you yeah. know, back then, that would have been, that would have been, you know, when time was of the essence, having to, mm-hmm. having to have that kind of chain of communication. True. You know, that was quite a, that was quite a thing, wasn't it? But when you look at, you know, looking at some of the stats, actually, you know, see, wasn't it? So there's 7,377 7, Lancasters made, mm-hmm. right? Um. Over, I think it was 1.1 million men and women employed working for over 900 companies. Yeah, it's astonishing, it. really, isn't it? It's just, it's just. Yeah, and that's you, only one facet to... of the war effort, really. When you think of everything else on top of it, it's incredible how we managed it. Yeah, it really I mean, does go to show, like, it's a, it's a number that goes to show how much everybody rallied around just when you mm-hmm. just take into account one aircraft, such as the Lancaster. The I think the Woodford factory had. I think it was three production lines that were a quarter of a mile long each. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Honestly. It is. It, is it would have been a sight to see. I was talking to this guy the other day, um, 
doing this interview with this um, retired pilot um, for uh, the commercial aviation wing of Kira. We don't just do historic aviation on Kira. This is just turning <laughs> into an advert. Um, but anyway, he was quite an interesting guy. He'd, just, he'd retired um, a few years ago, but he started flying commercial planes in the 60s. And um, so when he was just to kind of, uh, you know, he just sort of like, you know, graduated essentially, you know, just getting up to kind of like being allowed just to be a co- yeah, getting allowed to being a, a co-pilot. And he was saying a lot of the, a lot of the actual captains in those kind of quite early fledgling days of commercial mm-hmm. aviation were kind of like ex-Spitfire, ex-Lancaster yeah, yeah. pilots. So these guys were just turning up. You know, in terms of safety, they were just. He's saying, "Oh, they'd have a yeah, a little little bit of whiskey before they before they before they you know before they, <laughs> got, on, uh, before they got on board." Yeah, I mean, these guys had mm. they'd they'd these these were the guys that we were talking about earlier. They'd they'd flown in the dark, freezing, not knowing if they were going to come home. You know, so they um, you know, they would probably be shocked at the levels of health and safety we have. Now. What do you mean you can't have a you can't have a whiskey before you're flying that Ryanair? What is, yeah, a, what's the world? A short flight to? to Ibiza is nothing compared to. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it is um it is uh, you know crazy when you um when you kind of you know um come to think about it. Have you what, what are your sort of favourite you know Lancaster tales? Oh gosh, there are loads, aren't there? But funnily enough, I've always been a more of a fighter guy than bombers, but the Lancaster does always come top of my list for for, for bomb toting aeroplanes. Um, <laughs> one does spring to mind, and that's and I'm trying to put myself in this guy's shoes. I think it was a raid. I'm sure it was to Cologne uh, in World War Two, and it was either thick, low flying, low lying cloud or fog. But he was suddenly faced with the twin spires of a cathedral in front of him. <laughs> And, you know, the only thing he, he figured he could do was to roll it so the wings were vertical and he flew through the spires and then got out the <laughs> other side. Now, to me, that's pretty quick thinking and impressive flying as well. Especially something sort of, you know... Yeah. I could barely manoeuvre my Ford Fiesta, never mind. <laughs> I've, I, I've seen evidence of that. Yeah, I've seen you has, trying sorry. to get. I've seen you trying to get into that, um, that, that parking space at Sainsbury's. Tara. Let, let's not... Let's not well (laughs) awful i can't even imagine having to do that with such a important aircraft never mind oh no yeah Yeah, the the january issue of fly past was pretty cool because um you know we we had this special section on it for the anniversary and it was really nice to explore some of the the lesser told stories you know rather than just a normal bomber command um escapades uh things like um survey work in africa after the war you know the mapping uh, vast tracts of uh, the dark continent um it's really fascinating what this thing did uh you also had uh, maritime patrol um post-war as well with the raf you know air sea rescue it was mm-hmm. a real workhorse around the world it did so many different things aside from just the standard bombing missions mm-hmm. uh, i suppose they're the things that it's they are the things that it's known for though isn't it i suppose especially the um you know the turpits etc you know yeah, that's sure. the kind of you know well, that's, a, that's a really interesting point i've got to say because me being an ex-armorer and always being fascinated by aircraft weaponry the big bombs that the Lancaster toted, I find really, really fascinating, you know, starting with the 4,000 pound cookie, but then going up to the the Grand Slam and Tall Boy, you know, up to 22,000 pounds. Can you imagine being anywhere near the blast from that thing? I mean, it must have been outrageous. Well, 
I was looking into that. I was saying twenty-two thousand pounds, right? Hang on, let me just get this right. Right. So, like, right. So, the twenty-two thousand pounds, or I think that's just under ten thousand kilos. You know, you know, depending on you know which, you know, um, which you fancy. So, twenty thousand pounds, nearly ten thousand kilos. Then I sort of googled, right? How much does a Range Rover weigh? Because like it's difficult to kind of put ten thousand <laughs> yeah, yeah. kilos you into need context. context, don't that's you? Basically, so so the Grand Sam, that's like pretty much four Range Rovers. Yeah. Imagine dropping a bomb the weight of four Range Rovers, which are fairly sturdy machines. Well, um, I can tell you, when I worked on bomb disposal, when I was in the RAF, and you know, on, on the range, we would blow up old ammunition, stuff like that. And the range limit was, I think it was two pounds of plastic explosive per blow. Now, two pounds of PE makes a hell of a racket. So I can't imagine what 22,000 uh, pounds would be like. I mean, not all of that is explosive. You know, some of that's the casing. But even so, my gosh, it must have I been... Mean, the- Case is still going to do some damage, isn't it? Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just must have been awe-inspiring. They they had um there was a test uh, you know uh, a test bomb of the um uh, of the, the the Grand Slam that they did like near the New Forest or something in in the forties that I was reading about. Have you ever heard about this? I I haven't read about that one. No. To so, be this, they, it, so basically, they they had this like specially adapted Lancaster, right? So it was flying. So they, and they they'd made this kind of little this kind of building because the Grand Slam was basically sort of created this kind of like an artificial earthquake, didn't it? Mm. Yeah. Essentially. So they wanted to sort of see. You know what? You know what devastation it would it, it would cause. I mean, I think it's a fairly safe bet to think that it would cause quite a lot of devastation. But it's always sure, good to yeah. gather the evidence, isn't it? So they um, so they they modified this Lancaster. It's flight. I think it was about sixteen thousand feet, and they released it right, and it hit the ground. I think it was over seven hundred miles an hour, and wow. it made a crater that was seventy foot deep and one hundred and thirty <laughs> foot one hundred and thirty foot wide. Right now. 130 foot. I always like context, as you know, with the Range Rovers, right? So a tennis court is, I think it's, you know, just under 80 foot long. So this yeah. is, a, this crater is the length of nearly two tennis courts. That's ridiculous. That is going to, that's going <laughs> to like the meteorites hit the, hit the earth. 70 <laughs> foot deep. I mean, it is, isn't it? I mean, it, it just. Yeah, it's biblical, that is really, isn't it? It just sort of, uh, I think, I think it's the, yeah, the biggest. The biggest bomb dropped on yeah. dropped on Britain before or since, but I I, I never really. Um, there's so much to find out about you know, about Lancasters. And, yeah, well, and, I mean, you've got the obvious. Everybody thinks of the Dambusters raid with the Lancaster, of course, and Guy Gibson. I mean, they it was a a stunning feat of flying for all concerned, really, um, and it did really send a message. But uh, it leads on to um, one of my heroes, I think. Um, I mean, Gibson, yes, he was cool, but he was also a bit of a so-and-so, I think, really. You know, he was difficult <laughs> to get on with sometimes. It's but a polite I, way I, of putting it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. But when, I, when, I, when I think of the Lancaster, I do think of Leonard Cheshire, VC, who, nah. you know, I, I really hold him up as being just a, a superb guy. Um, I think he was um, more approachable than, than Gibson and more thoughtful and more considerate. He started out on, um, I think it was around about 1940, on uh, Whitley bombers, uh, or maybe just before that. And uh, the Whitley, I mean, that was kind of aging before it actually got into service realistically. Um, but, it, you know, it did its job. Um, but he was, uh, he was on 102 Squadron, I think it was, at Driffield in Yorkshire. 
And uh, not long after, he was on a raid to Cologne and his aircraft was hit by flak and it was really very badly damaged. And I think one of the rounds hit a flare and set it off and the thing was on fire. So, you know, he's, he, he comes to and the thing's in a dive and he managed to level it out at about 5,000 feet, I think it was. And uh, he regains control and he realized that he still has a working bomb load. So he thinks, right, I'm going to do the job. So he goes on alone. All the other aircraft have turned back. He's carrying on to the target. He unloads on the target and then he makes it back and brings it back home. And for that, he got a distinguished service order, I think it was. I um, mean, you know, that's, that's, that's real tenacity and bravery, I think. Yeah. It really I think, is. Yeah. I think I've only sort of. If I'm honest, Lancaster, I think pretty much with everyone, like you say, it's quite a, um, an un- not underrated because obviously everybody, everybody celebrates it, but it's quite a, um, it's quite looked over in terms of, you know, favorite planes and all that sort of thing. Um, but I heard a story once of this, this guy that was on a, um, a night raid to, I want to say Cleve, um, in. Say it then, say it. I want to say Cleve, <laughs> uh, um, in 1945 and you know he he leveled his plane out above above some low low ha- low hanging cloud and um suddenly his the uh the lead bomber basically gave them the order to um to duck below the cloud so that they could you know see where they were going to be be dropping their bombs essentially and um he was one of the only ones that that actually carried through because it was so low that obviously and they couldn't see how what they were going to hit a bit like your steeples mm. I, I guess um and he said as he got under the cloud another another lancaster came almost on top of him so he had to dodge um and roll his port side and he said he just remembers looking up and being probably a meter away from this other lancaster's bomb bay and yep. just being able to see, almost being able to see the features yep. of like, and he said like I was face to face with like a number of five hundred pound bombs, and mm. it was probably the scariest thing. Yeah, there were a lot of collisions. There were a lot of collision collisions between bombers. Unfortunately, it was in kind of inevitable in a way yeah. when you're trying to dodge flak, and even if you're trying to stay on course, and then there's weather, low cloud, all that. But and they're and they're so heavy as well. They can't they can't maneuver exactly. like a, a spit or a hurricane or or yeah, anything like that, can that's they? That's right. But getting back to Cheshire, I mean, he he eventually went on to 617 Squadron, you know, the, the Dambusters. Um, but what I find really cool is that whereas most people who own a Victoria Cross, um, they receive it for a single action. But he was awarded that medal for um, his, the conduct throughout his entire wartime career. So I think that's that speaks volume and it is the measure of the man, you know, that he was just uh, such a, a stand up guy all through the, all through the war. The other thing I really respect him for is that um, he was a real philanthropist. And when the war ended, he very quickly set up um, a home for disabled people and and it just carried on with that. And it eventually became the Leonard Cheshire Disability Homes that are still going today and do such sterling work. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is, that. It's, it's just going back to the point you were making, actually, about... Um, you know, the, like the sheer size of it, you know, it's, it's just worth refreshing your memory sometimes about those, like the stats and like, you know, like the empty weight, I think was something like about 37,000 pounds or mm. like nearly 17,000 kilos. 
And it was basically able to almost double its weight in fuel and bombs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the distance it flew, I mean, it had to go a long way. It really did. Yeah, just, absolutely. Just like, just like the B-17s did for the Americans during the daytime, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It, I, 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 love I, the, um, I love the one they've got at the RAF Museum, you know, the uh, S for Sugar. Yeah. You yep. know, the one with the um with the kind of, you know, no enemy plane shall, you know, fly yeah. over enemy territory. It's <laughs> exactly. so cool, isn't it? World War Two yeah. banter. I love it. Quite right, quite right. But you know, uh, going back to being inside the thing during a mission, I was very fortunate enough to fly in a B seventeen in Florida some years ago, about eight years ago I think it was. Uh and it was nine oh nine, the one that suddenly crashed um not that long ago uh in the States. But while I was in it, I just tapped the skin and it was so thin. And I thought, you know, being in any bomber sitting there, not only in the cold and the dark, but if you start to get fighters coming along and they've got 20, 30 millimeter rounds whipping along, it's just going to cut through that skin like a knife through butter. It's, well, it makes you shudder. And, and, and uh, you know, obviously with the various kind of positions like the bat, you know, there was, you know, some of the people in those positions were quite exposed, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And trapped in as well. Not easy to get out of a gun turret. Really no, isn't. If, if it's plummeting down to the ground, the aircraft, it's, uh, yeah. I saw, a, um, I saw a story where um, a guy called Alex Campbell, he um, went down. So basically his, his lank, I think he was the navigator, um, but his lank basically got set upon by um, some Junkers, Junkers mm-hmm. um, 88s or 88s, yeah. whichever you yeah. want to say. And um, so he went to bail out and he had to watch as each of the uh, people that went before him basically just died. Um, so because they bailed out and obviously they were injured. Um, mm. And so he jumped out and you're meant to count to three before you open your before you pull your ripcord for your for your parachute and he said like i i just didn't want to i i just wanted to know that i was going to live um and he went to pull his ripcord and it wasn't there because it had been shot up by um yeah shot up by a load of um a load of like bullets, I guess, and flak mm. and that sort of thing. So, um, luckily, I think he survived. Um, but God knows, God knows how many people didn't, with how much damage was done to them by by yeah. you know how thin the yeah. fuselage was. It's a sobering thought. It really is. It really, to be honest, it, it, that sort of quite freaks me out about all aircraft. Really, I mean, even if you kind of you know like a commercial airplane, it's not exactly the mm-hmm. you know. The thickest thing is it? That's yeah, the tanks, are they? I, I do no. think on your on your holiday to Spain, you're not necessarily going to have a you know Spitfire or anything. <laughs> no, no, you, you, <laughs> you, 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 you need to these worry days, about. Tara. You never know, but you know, um, you, but even so, just like aircraft generally, you know, you you're talking about you know, you know, it's a, it's basically like a you know a, quite a thin quite a thin casing, isn't it? Held together yeah, by yeah. rivets, often yeah. flying in an atmosphere that you can't survive in. So it's quite uh, amazing, but I think when you're talking about the Lancaster, you, you know, you're right. Massive, you know, th- there's so many, so much danger mm. in every single thing. Just in terms of, you know, obviously, you know, being shot at. You know, the all everything is against you, isn't it? So these people are just, you know, the bravery is just oh, legends. Quite, quite sort of staggering, isn't it? Really. Any, any, any? Does anyone have anything else to add? about the Lancaster as we you know 80th anniversary I love a good anniversary and there's loads aren't there that we 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 quite like anniversaries in historical events but this is like a proper one I think this is a real proper one isn't it I just can't wait to see it again I've got to say you know with with COVID and the lack of air shows and things 
where, where I live, just outside of Stamford in Lincolnshire, um, we've got a village called Uffington and the, um, they have a, a, a kind of fate every springtime. And we're lucky enough to have an air vice marshal in Uffington who's quite handy at getting the BBMF to uh, fly over and uh, do, a, you know, do a flyby. You never know what you're going to get, but when it's the Lancaster, boy, you do know it's there. And it's just wonderful to see it. And the noise in particular. And it's the one thing that makes everybody just stop, mouth open, and just drink it in. It's such a great sight. Chris, Thanks are you, are you a, bit of a, you're a bit of a local celebrity at that fair, aren't you? No. Come on, be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I'm known for dro- for dro- standing there just drooling when the thing flies over. You know, I just, I yeah. just lose the plot and I go a bit wobbly when I see it. You just hear people walking past you going, it's that guy from Flypast dribbling again. <laughs> should, we, should we tell someone? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, look, I'm sure we can sort of read lots more on Kiero um, and uh, in Flypast, of course. Um, but anyway, thanks very much for, uh, thanks very much for uh, taking a break from hectic homeschooling. To, uh, Indeed, yeah. To, uh, it, was, uh, to... it was most welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can hear some. Uh, I can hear some long division calling me. But uh, until <laughs> the next time, then, <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for your time, Chris, that, and no Sarah. And uh, no don't forget, you can listen to the Fly Pass podcast on Key.Aero, um, or loads of other platforms. Spotify. There's all sorts. I think we're on like. Uh, would you believe we're on Apple Apple Podcasts now? All sorts of things. Breaker, uh, Player FM loads of places listen to it so uh thanks for tuning in see you next time this has been a podcast from key aero your aviation destination remember visit www.key.aero for more of the same thanks for stopping by and we hope to catch up with you again soon